the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's a brand new week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions or life questions, whatever's on your heart, uh, what we believe as Christians, why we believe it, we'll do the best that we can. I've had some interesting questions sent in, but we always prefer your phone calls. You can call us at 210 210- Three four zero ninety five eighty five. That's three four zero ninety five eighty five. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll free at eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. That's six three zero five seven five seven. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. And using the hands-free feature on your phone, you just have to touch one button, the banner that says uh, call now, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Our main number, one more time, is 340-9585. There's a lot going on here. Uh, I was talking to somebody today. My goal every year, every year, is to make the next year, the new year, a little less busy than the year before. And we've just never been able to succeed in doing that. We're just so, so busy. Tonight, uh, we have our men's, women's, youth, and high school Bible studies. Ladies, you can watch. Uh, Linda McMillan will be teaching tonight in the book of Judges uh, at calvaryessay.com at 7 o'clock. None of the others are live streamed, but, but uh, this Bible study is. And you will be blessed. Um, So with that, I hope you had a great day in church yesterday. Uh, We did here, and we'll look forward to a good week this week. Hey, oh, by the way, I need to remember, uh, uh, Gail Irwin, Pastor Gail Irwin, a dear, dear friend of mine who uh, was supposed to be here yesterday, couldn't get here in time. They're driving out from California. Uh, Gail will be here Wednesday teaching uh, at Calvary Chapel San Antonio, and uh, we we invite you to come and enjoy. It will be a wonderful time. Uh, just a good friend, loves Jesus with all of his heart, and uh, with a smile on his face and some of the most unusual facial expressions you'll ever see, believe me, the word always cuts to the heart. So that's this Wednesday. I'll talk about it a little bit more uh, each day between now and Wednesday. Uh, One other thought, just to put it in your mind, I'll talk about it more at the end of the week. This weekend, Sunday at 4 o'clock, is our annual uh, Christmas dinner. Uh, All church, we invite people from the radio audience, anybody else who wants to come as well. So uh, it is at the Shirts Civic Center. Uh, at 4 o'clock on Sunday, lots and lots of food will be there. You don't have to bring food to, to eat enjoy with us. Uh, I, I think we served more than 1,300 people last year. 
Uh, we've had to keep moving it to get bigger and bigger places, but it's just a really good time. It's a time when our church, you know, we've got a small facility, uh, but we had lots and lots of people. So uh, the people that come on Fridays don't get to meet the people that come on Sundays or the people that come first service don't get to meet the people in second or third services. So we get everybody together and it's quite a crowd and it is really, really sweet fellowship. So that's coming up this Sunday afternoon at four o'clock. Okay, let me get to some questions that have been sent in, and we will uh, sort of take it from there. Uh, My first question is from our mobile app. This one is from our friend Nacho. He says, can you tell me the meaning of Proverbs 25-2? Let me get to it, uh, Nacho, and then I will. It says, now one of the things about Proverbs, uh, there's no context really. It's just sort of a shotgunning series of of thoughts and suggestions, and uh, it is a poem. It's in poetic form, so we don't make doctrine. So sometimes it's a little bit hard to get uh, uh, sort of a theme in any particular book because he keeps changing the theme uh, with each of the statements that he makes. And this one he says, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search art a matter is the glory of kings. Now, what God is telling us is that he will tell us what we need to know But we, our responsibility, is always to be searching to learn more about him. God conceals things with us, not because he doesn't want us to know stuff, but he puts us in a place by concealing answers. You know, we we ask why questions all the time. Uh, God doesn't always tell us the answers to those questions. And the reason is because he wants us to depend on him. He wants us to learn to trust him. So uh, God gets glory. Our faith grows when he conceals matters to us. At the same time, our responsibility is to seek the Lord with all of our heart. And so that's what it is. We're to walk by faith. We're to trust him. The more we do that, then the more about God we're going to understand. And it's always a a good trade-off. So um, remember, these are usually uh, in a New Testament construct these are um, faith builders, trials, tests are faith builders. And um, it's in the middle of those trials that we really seek the Lord, isn't it? So I hope that helps. Thank you, Nacho. Here is a question from our mobile app. This one is from Kirby. Um, she asks, could you give us a practical application to Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 25 through 34, especially verses 30 and 32. Well, let me just give an overview. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but this is, of course, the the back end of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is basically telling us not to worry. Look at the birds. They don't sow or reap. They store away, uh, nor store away uh, in barns, and yet your Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And you know, one of the instinctive things we have here at Kirby is we worry about stuff that we don't have. And this is just Jesus saying, you don't need to worry about those things. And if God takes care of them, how much more will he take care of us? Those are really, really important questions. Now, verses 32 and 33 that you asked said this, For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father um, knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to us as well. Um, you know, Kirby, it's it's not hard to figure out the practical application here. It's hard for us to do it. Like much of the Bible, the, the answers are clear, but, but actually denying our flesh. You know, when we have a tendency to worry about things, uh, we get all flustered, you know, and God, why aren't you providing? Why aren't you doing this? I can't understand why we're struggling in this area or that area. And God says the answer to it is to seek him and his kingdom and his righteousness. If if we make that the focus of our lives, the priority of our lives, then the rest of the stuff will fall into line. And I think, honestly, Kirby, we don't believe that. We just don't believe it. We, we think we've got to handle things. We've got to take care of things. We're always trying to, 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 to provide for our own needs instead of just saying, Jesus, what do you want me to do? I'm with you. 
you've, you've always taken care of me. You're going to take care of me this time. And I'm going to trust that. And I'm not going to let the cares, the worries of this life keep me from pursuing you with all of my heart, with all of my strength, and with all of my soul. So that's the application. Now, obviously, I've said this many times in this program, the Sermon on the Mount is not meant for us to, to, to view it as a standard by which we are to live. It is a standard so far above anything that we can possibly live that the whole idea is we've got to lean on Jesus. We've got to depend completely on him for everything. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. The Apostle Paul wrote that uh, with God, all things are possible. And we've got to practice that in our own lives. So it's the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, obviously it's really, really valuable. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. here is an anonymous question. Sounds like somebody was upset with me. Uh, I watched your message yesterday online. I think you overstepped by telling people that they should make their kids read, exercise, etc. I don't think it's a pastor's role to tell people how to live. You know, Anonymous, uh, if you, you watch the message, if you listen to it, you understand the whole theme of the message was how then ought we to live in, in view of God's soon return? That's really important. How then should we live? That's as practical as it gets. And we've spent three weeks. Uh, we finished yesterday in the Sermon on the or not Sermon on the Mount, I'm sorry. That um, was the previous question. And the Olivet Discourse in Luke chapter 21, three studies to get through it. And, um, you know, there has to be some, you know, most of that passage of Scripture um, doesn't deal with us. It's, it deals with the Great Tribulation, the end of the age, uh, we won't be here for the Great Tribulation. Christians are going to be taken away to be with Jesus uh, uh, just before the Great Tribulation begins. Uh, and so remember, I'm teaching people who aren't going to experience those things. And what we have to do is we've got to find the application for us. And as I was praying over this passage of Scripture throughout the last couple of weeks, all I could think about was, well, Lord, you're, you're, you're telling us we might not have much time left. So how should we respond? And Anonymous, that's what the message is all about. How should we respond? And the, the part of the message that you're talking about toward the end was just uh, me letting my church, I remember this is our church here. Uh, the Holy Spirit, I hope, was speaking through me. And one of the things that we need to do is get serious about our walk with the Lord. And the place to start is in our homes. I mentioned first our marriages, then our roles as parents. And there's just a lot of things that, as parents, we're not doing very well. We're not standing for righteousness in our homes. Our kids listen to horrible things come from our mouths. Uh, our kids see moms and dads arguing at one another, saying horrible things to one another. Our kids... Don't watch a mom and dad who are fully committed to serving Jesus. And the whole point of the message yesterday was it's time we changed. And when you talk about their role as a parent, um, who could possibly object to telling parents to insist that their kids read or to insist that their kids exercise? Of course that's my responsibility. One of the things we were talking about yesterday in the message was not only... Do we have to make 2020 a healthier year spiritually, but we have to make it a healthier year physically? You can't serve God if you're dead. So I think it doesn't get any more practical than that. And there was a, a whole bunch, the, the last uh, little bit more than a third of the message dealt with all of these practical applications. And if you were upset, I won't apologize to you, but I would ask you maybe to listen again with a little different heart. Um, you know, as a pastor, I watch families fall apart all the time. And I see the commonalities when those families fall apart. And most importantly, those families are not in the Word of God. I watch kids grow up and, and, and leave the faith or the faith that their parents profess. And I realize those children have been raised in homes where the father reads the Bible to their kids, teaches them. It's his job. Single moms, the moms have to read the Bible to the kids. 
Whether they want to or not is not the issue, but, but that's what they got to do. And typically what we do is we just throw a screen in our kid's face. It sort of acts like a, an electronic pacifier. And then we can do what we want to do. Your kids need to see that you love Jesus. Your kids need to understand what it means to live in Jesus' home. The part with reading yesterday was simple. Kids don't read anymore. They look at images. And unless you read, your imagination is stifled. It doesn't take any imagination to uh, imagination to look at a video game, or it doesn't take imagination to look at a screen. But when you read a book and you get into a story, your imagination runs wild. And for emotional health, your kids need to have an active imagination. So I, I disagree with you, Anonymous. I think it is a pastor's role to tell people how they ought to live in light of the Lord's soon return. Imagine if Jesus came back today. As a believer, you're going to be with him, but imagine if he came back and you had to give account for the way that you manage your children or or for the condition of your marriage. What would you say to him? How could you explain to him? What would you say? Well, I'm, I'm too busy. I don't think those kind of excuses are going to cut it. So, Anonymous, I I respectfully disagree with you. Uh, I think the message yesterday was an important one. Uh, I also think it's nothing to do with my timing. It's just the Lord's timing. But I think at the end of one year, when we're looking forward to starting a new year and, and having a better year than the year before, I think these kind of messages are really, really important. So, I hope that helps. And I'm sorry if you were offended uh, sort of, I'm sorry, but but maybe, just maybe, it's not me you're upset with, it's the Holy Spirit who's knocking on the door of your heart. 340-9585, here is a question from Olivia. She says, can you tell me about generational curses? I can, Olivia, um, and, and, and most simply, let me just say that there's no such thing. If you look at the book of Exodus... If you look in the Old Testament when generational curses are mentioned, it's a curse that comes from disobeying the Lord, and it's something that's caught. It's it's behavior that's learned. So God doesn't punish sons and daughters for the sins of their parents. Generational curses give us convenient excuses for the things that we want to do. Well, I I drink because my father and his father before him were drunk, so I, I'm under the curse. No. Every one of us can make a choice. And when we use our choice wisely, when we do what God wants us to do, it's amazing. There's no more thought of curses. You know, in these charismatic churches, and, and I, I use that term, we are a charismatic church, but when I, when I use that term, I mean the out-of-balance ones. Um, you know, they find that this sells. You, know, you can write books about generational curses. You can, you can cast out generational demons, and uh, demons that don't exist, by the way, but you can cast them out, and people will pay for it. They'll, they'll, they'll give and give and give some more. The problem is they're not true. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And Olivia, all we have to do is have the faith to believe that, to take God at his word. So that's the beauty of Jesus. Your past is as far from you as east is from west. It doesn't matter what anybody else in your family has done. Every born-again believer can break the cycle of sin. Even if that cycle has gone on for generations... That's not a curse. That's a consequence. By the way, um, not long ago, I listened to a message by Dr. Tony Evans. I I enjoy um, Dr. Evans' teaching. I enjoy his intellect. Um, He did a message on this. He, He called generational curses generational consequences. 
And Olivia, I, I might suggest you could go to TonyEvans.org, or I'm sure you can see him on YouTube. Um, his message, if I remember correctly, was called Stop the Cycle. And if you Google that, um, it will come up, and it was excellent. It's a 40-plus-minute uh, message, and uh, I, th- I just thought he did a, a really, really great job. Uh, one of the reasons that I appreciate it even more is because, as those of you who know anything about uh, Tony Evans, his church is prominently black, and usually it's in black churches where these generational curses um, gain some traction. So it's just, um, Dr. Evans, I think, just did a great, great job. So, Olivia, don't worry about generational curses. They're like pink elephants. They don't exist. Here is a question from Damon. So Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. Isaiah 53 tells us that. What exactly does that mean? Well, Damon, what it means is that the pain that Jesus endured, the punishment, the, the, the back being ripped open uh, with the scourge, uh, with the, the crown of thorns being forced down uh, onto his scalp and, and causing significant bleeding, um, the people that were spitting and mocking him. Um, Jesus did all of that, Damon, because he loved you so much he couldn't bear to see you do it. The price for our peace, Isaiah says, was placed upon him. And God, who is holy and just, has to judge sin. I think sometimes, Damon, we get the impression that uh, being forgiven or grace means God just sort of looks, overlooks our sin and, and, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to forget about it. That's not what grace is at all. You see, Damon, as a Christian, your sins, as a Christian, my sins, had to encounter the wrath of God. God is so holy, a consuming fire of holiness that he can't let sin slide. His wrath has to be poured out. And his wrath was poured out on Jesus instead of on you, instead of on me. That's how much he loved you. When we take communion here, Damon and I am sharing with our church about the, the, the cracker that represents his body broken. That is an everlasting statement of how high and wide and deep and long God's love for you is. I tell the church he loved you so much that he couldn't bear to see you suffer. So the perfect Lamb of God took your place. And then I challenge people, the next time you you have any thought that God doesn't love you, remember the cross. Remember the pain he endured. Because those wounds were for you and for me. You know, at the end of the age, and I mentioned this in my Bible study yesterday, when Jesus comes back um, at the end of the Great Tribulation, we're going to be with him, by the way, um, as the sky opens up and Jews from Jerusalem gaze upon him, they're going to see his wounds. I, I have this picture in my mind, Damon, of... Jesus coming back with his hands spread out, you know, the, the palms of his hands up, like to say, look what I've done for you. And Zechariah says that when they see him, they're going to say, where did you get those wounds? And he's going to reply, I, I got these wounds in the house of my friends. And it's at that moment they're going to realize that they rejected the Christ they were waiting for when he came the first time. And he came bringing grace and truth. He came to, to, to save people. He didn't come to judge the world. He came to save it. Well, the next time when they see him, he's going to come to judge the world and they're going to be given the opportunity to believe. And that's what Isaiah 53 means. Uh, Damon, it was just a few weeks ago that I did a study on Isaiah 53. It's one of the, one of my favorite studies that I've ever done. Um, you can go to our website, calvarysa.com, and I taught extensively on Isaiah 53. And um, 
um, I, I think that would, would be a source of encouragement for you. So I hope that is clear. One of the great passages in all of Scripture, the suffering servant passages, that was, by the way, and I'm talking a little bit too much because we are coming to the end. I don't want to go to another question yet. Um, but those suffering servant passages, that was the stumbling block for the Jews. They couldn't imagine that their Christ would suffer and die. It was just inconceivable to them. They thought when he came, he would set up his kingdom, he'd rule and reign forever, and they would have their autonomy returned as a nation under God. Instead, because they rejected him, the whole of Jewish history has been nothing but tragedy and persecution and satanic hostility against the people of God. Isaiah 53 explains a lot of it. If only, if only they would have opened their Bible. So I hope that helps, David. Thank you. We have 30 minutes left in our Monday edition of the show. The phones are quiet. We'd love your calls and questions. 340-9585. This is the word to stand up for life. We'll be back on the other side of the break. We'll see you in two minutes. Don't have time to call into the word to stand on for life? No problem. If you've got questions, you can email them to Pastor Ron at PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the program we have 30 minutes left today let me get right to the questions this one is from marty oops i've got a phone call very good oh thank you i like the phone calls before Marty will do this. Let's go to, uh-oh, I know who this is. This is from Alaska. <laughs> this is Jim. Hi, Jim. How are you doing? I am doing very good, sir. How are you? I'm doing well because I'm not in Alaska. Uh, you know what? This is good weather, though. 40 degrees, windy and wet. Wow, it's going to be 40 degrees here tomorrow, probably. <laughs> very good. <laughs> How is everybody doing? We're doing really, really well. Hey, before you, you ask anything, i got to ask you, yep. how is Megan doing with the baby? The She's new baby. She's doing very well. Very well. Finn is doing good and giving her trouble. <laughs> <laughs> good. Good, good, good. Yeah. What's up? Yeah. Hey, I have a prayer request. A very okay. good friend of Ro and I's. Ro and I's. Ro and mine. Mine and Rose, I should say. Um she is having some major uh, jaw surgery tomorrow morning. She she struggled with drugs for a long time and suffered a lot of physical abuse during that time, and she's re- reciprocating that now. So she's going in tomorrow to have some major surgery. Her name is Brittany, and Brittany Gross, if you guys could pray for her, that would be wonderful. You can count on it. And I know there's a lot of people listening who know your family, so we will be praying, I promise you. Yes, we we prayed for that young lady the whole time she was struggling, and the Lord brought her out of it, and she is on fire raising her kids, loving her husband, loving the Lord, and serving Him full time. Oh, praise God. Hey, do me do me a favor and give Pastor Samuel and Megan and Ro a big hug for me, okay? Every time I talk to you, I turn right around and do that, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, man. Love you. Yeah. You give Thank hugs you, to everybody there. We love I'll do it. God bless you. That's uh, uh that's the father uh, of the the father and father-in-law of the uh, pastor that we sent to plant a church in South Anchorage, Alaska. And 
you know, whenever God sends people, he sends our best. I just hate that they're gone, but boy, I just love how faithful they've been. So um, you heard the prayer request. So tomorrow morning, especially be praying for this um, woman and we will be confident that the Lord will hear us. Brittany for her surgery or her ticket being checked out tomorrow. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here is the question that I was going to get to. Marty says a friend of mine keeps saying that her inner child needs healing. How should I respond to her? Um, tell her to get out of therapy or stop reading psychology books and open up her Bible. You know what, Marty? This would be a, a good idea. Let me let me frame this in the positive. Um. Challenge her to read, really, really read Philippians. It doesn't take long. Uh, as an experiment, one time I put the book of Philippians, I, you know, cut and paste just, just to see. This was back in the days where I could see a little bit and I was still reading the newspapers because people always say, Pastor, I don't have time to read the Bible. I said, do you read the newspaper? Do you read the sports section, men? And Well, of course I read the sports section. Uh, it, it takes up less than two-thirds of a standard newspaper one page. So, tell her to read, really read the book of Philippians and ask her if that doesn't do a lot more than seeking inner healing. You know, these, this my inner child, I was hurt as a child. Uh, I, I have in the past, with people I knew really, really well. I don't want this to sound like I'm unfeeling or unkind because I'm not, but I just say, you know, your inner child needs spanking so that the grown-up in you can live. So um, just tell her to read Philippians. Tell her that Jesus is the only one that can understand everything that she's been through. Not only what she's been through, but the pain and the consequences that have resulted over the years. Jesus understands it all. He's the only one with the power to heal it all. And in her pursuit of healing her inner child, which really doesn't exist anymore, all she's going to do is experience more pain. Give her the choice between freedom from pain or continued bondage to pain. So, Marty, I found over the years the most difficult counseling sessions that I've had to encounter are those people who have a background in therapy of some sort or another. You know, they've got all the excuses, they've got all the language down, and uh, when the truth is, they just need to die. They need to repent of their sins. They need to die to their flesh and live for and with Jesus. It's the only way to be healed. It's the only way to be healed. So, Marty, that's the best that I can do on that. Here is a question from Linda. I've heard Linda this question from a thousand women over the years. Uh, I really want to know, no, I'm sorry, I really want to be pleasing to God. How can I know how to do that? Linda, I'm assuming you're a Christian. You're listening to this program. You already are pleasing to God. All you have to do is believe that. I mean, think about that. No matter what you've been through, no matter how horrible your past was, when Jesus died for your sins and you finally said, yes, I repent of my sins, Jesus, I need you to come into my heart. My life now belongs to you. He took all of the junk out and he filled you with his righteousness. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21. The minute he did that, there was nothing but a smile on his face. And so you've got to believe you already are pleasing to him. We're accepted in the beloved. When he sees you, he sees you through the filter of Christ. So this isn't one of those things where you have to do more, you've got to try harder. All you've got to do is rest by faith in his pleasure. He loves you, he's crazy about you, he thinks about you night and day. And he would love for you to be able to enjoy that. Now, let me be just a little bit more practical for you in the sense of 
How do you do that every day? It's simple. Be with him. Just be with Jesus. Remember that. It's it's the answer to all of the difficulties we have in life. Just be with Jesus. And that means whatever you're going through, Linda, he will be there with you. He will be there for you. If you walk away, Hebrews 13, our study last Friday night, said he will never leave us or forsake us. But the problem is that we often walk away. And we walk away because we want to sin or we walk away because we're feeling really, really condemned and guilty. Romans 8, 1 says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So understand what he's done for you. Understand who you are in Christ. And the beauty of understanding is freedom from guilt and freedom from condemnation, freedom from feeling like God's angry at you or or frustrated by you. Linda, all he wants to do is hang out with you. So, as an example, wake up tomorrow morning. Set aside some time just for you and Jesus. If you work and you, you say, well, I'm busy in the mornings, get up early. Go to bed earlier tonight. And get up and spend some time with him. Talk to him. Open the Bible and let him speak to you. Read systematically. Don't just open it somewhere and read. But read Colossians is a great example. You have to read it all. Just read. I promise you the Holy Spirit will speak to your heart. And then as you're going to work or whatever it is you do during your day, then talk to him all day. Just remind yourself that he's there with you. Then when you're tempted to do something or when things get really difficult, all you got to do is turn to Jesus. He's right there with you. Say, Jesus, help me. Take care of this. And the real benefit is that you're going to be aware of just how pleasing to God you are. Imagine how thrilling it is for Jesus when there's something fleshy that we want to do and we say, no, Jesus, I'm not going to do it because I'd rather hang out with you. I mean, can you imagine the smile on his face? You already are pleasing to him. Here is a question from Mickey. She says, I'm looking for a new church in the Austin area. How can I recognize a healthy church? Well, Mickey, the um, obvious um, sign of a healthy church is that they're going to be teaching the Bible. Not preaching it, not talking about it, not throwing in an occasional verse here and there, but teaching the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Uh, there's good churches in the Austin area. I, I don't know where in Austin you are, but in South Austin, there's a Calvary Chapel. Uh, a friend of mine, Bungie Garrett, is the pastor there. He is exactly the opposite of me in every way. But inside is this really, really tender heart for Jesus. And I think he's a good Bible teacher. If you're closer to the Pflugerville area, there is a Calvary Chapel called uh, um, Calvary Austin. Uh, in Pflugerville, and um, um, I know the pastor there, and and uh, you're going to be taught the Bible. You're going to find great friends and great fellowship. Uh, So that's what you want to do. One other thing you want to do when you're looking for a new church is find a church where your gifts can be used. You don't want to just go to a church and sit. You want to go to a church and serve. You know, let out what God is bringing in. And uh, I'm confident those two churches, but again, there's, there's plenty of other good churches uh, in the Austin area. We've got one in, um, I can never remember, Cedar, not, not Cedar Park, but um, in, in that area, um, Aaron Eichelberger is the pastor's name there. Um, a whole bunch of them. So, we, so, so that's, that's close. Thank you, Mickey. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is, ooh, here's a question from Les. This is challenging. I get a confrontational tone in it. 
Why is it okay for churches to discriminate against LGBTQ population in their hiring practices? Discrimination is against the law. Um, Les, we're churches that belong to Jesus. Once you forget the law for a moment, forget forget our rights. When Christians, we have no rights. We're not our own. We're bought with a price. So when we're serving God, we have to do things His way. And when somebody is serving here, now just to, to be sure I'm not misunderstood, I'm going to use a completely different example. But I wouldn't hire somebody who's cheating on his wife or a woman who's cheating on her husband. Why? Because God wants holiness. If the work is going to be governed by the Holy Spirit, it's got to be a work committed to personal holiness. Uh, I wouldn't hire an unbeliever who is a great guy or a great girl. I wouldn't hire them either to do work here. They certainly are welcome to come. Everybody's welcome to come. But but to get involved in the work um, it's got to be done with holy hands. That doesn't mean less that I think Christians are perfect and we're uh, better than other people. That doesn't mean that at all. It just means, you see, that our sins has been covered by the blood of Jesus. And somebody who is um, living an LGBTQ lifestyle uh, doesn't want anything to do with God. So why would I hire somebody? We have a school here. Now, to be clear, I only hire people from our church for the school. We, we, we protect these kids. We love them so much that unless we know somebody well and they've demonstrated a pattern of godliness over a long period of time, we know we can trust these kids' lives with them. We don't hire anybody. We never advertise for a position. Uh, we have had, over the years, lots of people come in and say, well, I'd love to get involved in a, in a, a, a Christian school uh, I'm a teacher, I have a degree, uh, and, and um, our response is, well, we only hire people from our church. And because they're involved in the church, it doesn't mean they're bad, it doesn't mean that church is bad. It's just, we have to walk together. Amos 3.3 says, how can two walk together unless they agree to do so? Unless the truth of the LGBTQ population is that they're not interested in walking together with us. I do think sometimes they're interested in trying to stir up trouble for us, but the matter is we're going different directions. And if you're trying to go one way and somebody's trying to go another way, well, then you're no longer working together. You're working in opposition to one another. So church is a ministry. It's true we have some paid positions. But I'm not discriminating against somebody. What we're doing instead is simply saying, if you're willing to walk with us, then do what God tells you to do. Unless I know this is getting more and more unpopular, the truth of the matter is, is that people who are living actively homosexual lifestyles are separated from God. And we simply can't let them be a part of what God is doing. So I hope that makes sense to you. It's just people go in different directions and we need to be following Jesus. I also think, and this isn't for less, it's for the Christians in our audience, most of us, we've got to be prepared because I think our hand, uh, not Calvary Chapel San Antonio, just the church in general, uh, I think we're a very, very short period of time away from our hand being forced in these issues. And I, I honestly believe that there will be severe consequences uh, for churches that don't cave in to the pressure from the LGBTQ community. They just want us to stop calling homosexuality a sin. And true believers are never going to stop calling it a sin. Why? Because we want them, we want them to do it. Peter when he was told not to speak anymore in Jesus' name, in Acts chapter 4, verse 19, he said, well, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judge. And we who are believers, we've got to listen 
to Jesus and do things his way. It's his work. One of the things I, I don't think we really appreciate, even Christians, I think when people come into a church and try to have influence, they have lost the sense that Jesus is the one leading the ship. I don't make the decisions here. Jesus does. And then I make the decision that we're going to follow his vision. And when somebody comes in and says, well, I don't think we should do this. I think we should do this. We tell them maybe a different church is the place for you to go because we're already committed to following the vision that God has given us. And I think sometimes we forget that the church belongs to him. When that kind of commitment to obedience costs us our freedom, and I don't think we're very far away, then we got a decision to make. We'll find out if our faith was real, won't we? Hope that helps. Here's a question from Meredith. She wants to know, is foster care something Christians should volunteer to do? You know, Meredith, if you've got the space uh, and the time, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I, I don't know where you are and I don't know where you go to church, uh, but we have a, um, a group that meets here on a semi-regular basis of, of um, families that have also fostered kids. Now, in our church, I think in all of the cases where the kids were fostered, they have gone on to be adopted into families. Uh, we have two families that have adopted or fostered siblings, uh, only to find out that the families were going to be separated and split apart. And, uh, and they said, no, we want them to stay together. And so, so those turned into adoption cases. But foster care is definitely something that Christians should volunteer to do whenever possible. Um, you know, the, 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 the state of the bureaucracy, the foster care system is such that it's just really, really hard uh, to, to provide any consistency in the children's homes. So um, when you can bring Christ into a home, now, you don't compromise your faith. You don't listen to somebody in, a, in an agency. You don't listen to, to a state official say, well, you know, you can't tell them about Jesus. You can't tell them their religion is wrong. Somebody comes into your house, that your house belongs to Jesus. You're going to win their heart to Christ, period. So, you're saving lives. We have some of these families, the kids were in such horrible condition, so neglected, parents with drug backgrounds, jail backgrounds, to see these children's faces change so completely when they finally for the first time receive unconditional love, it's an amazing thing to watch. And it's literally overwhelming to me to imagine the rewards that these moms and dads and their children are going to receive in heaven for opening their homes and their hearts to those in need. So, Meredith, if you're interested, uh, contact the church. We'll set you up with the people that sort of run that ministry, and uh, you will be blessed abundantly if you do this. Uh, a couple of those kids... Uh, are, are among those kids who come into my office every day before the radio program and pray. It, it's just an amazing thing, and I, I just love it. Uh, we're inside four minutes, I think a little over three minutes. So um, Nina asked this question, Why did God make Abraham and Sarah wait so long for Isaac to be born? You know, Nina, I'm sure that very question was asked hundreds of times by Abraham and Sarah over the years. It was 25 years. Abraham had the promise. He went home and, and believed with all of his heart that, that that child would be coming. Sarah? Imagine when he told a 65-year-old Sarah that she was going to become a mother. And then they went in for some adult time. I'm sure they expected immediately for her to get pregnant. It didn't happen. You see, God had to prepare Abraham and Sarah to be the parents for this miracle child. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2 says that it's required that every man given to trust by God must prove faithful. 
Abraham was given a huge trust by God. And he had to be prepared for it. We also know, don't we, Nina, that they stumbled. Ishmael was born because Sarah and Abraham took matters into their own hands. That child has caused more difficulty in the history of the world than we can possibly imagine. And yet, God was patient with them. And they had to wait 25 years. 25 years. Nina, we're inside a couple of minutes, so this will be the last question I take today. But think about what it was like when Jesus showed up. Genesis chapter 18. When Jesus showed up and Sarah was busy getting things ready, you know, the, the dutiful wife would do. And then she heard, eavesdropping in on the conversation, she heard Jesus say to Abraham, this time next year, Sarah will have a son. Remember, she laughed. Jesus said, why did you laugh? She said, I didn't laugh. He goes, yes, you did. You see, after all that time, 24 years, they were finally ready for the child that God had prepared for them. Not just any child. This was the child of promise. Any good thing that God promises us, we have to be ready for it. And that's why it often takes so long, because God is preparing us for that which lies ahead. Good question, Nina. Thanks a lot. Well, the phones are quiet today. Again, I guess this is just December. Everybody's busy. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Remember tonight, our men's, women's, and youth Bible studies at 7 o'clock. Uh, ladies at calvarysa.com. You can watch the live stream of tonight's service for the women. I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.